we get together as a group, a merged group. Is there anyone here who's at Spirit Rock for the first time? Wow. Well, welcome. Hi. And, and uh, it's wonderful to see that and to be part of introducing you to this environment of practice, one of the great meditation centers in the West. And those of you who have been sitting here for the period of the last month, would you raise your hands? So, you see there is a retreat. It has been going on. It has been happening for quite a while now. I'd like to acknowledge the presence of the people who are carrying the silence for us now. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of being on retreat and being on retreat for quite a while and then having a new group of people come in. It's a little bit, uh, it's kind of a cross between invasion and uh, John called it last night, uh, boat rocking, where people have the opportunity to, to see the quiet and the, perhaps the samadhi that they've developed over a period of weeks sort of mm, get scuffed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when there's probably going to be a little more scuffing going on as people incorporate the new energy into the group. People who have been here a while are going to have the experience of having someone suddenly show up in their favorite walking area and not even know, (laughs) not even know uh, that they're in there, in their space. So many opportunities for (coughs) generosity and uh, understanding for those who have been on retreat. And it's a wonderful thing, too, to come in, to be the new people coming into a retreat environment like this. Have you ever heard of the term drafting? Sometimes used to refer to flocks of birds, or sometimes you even see it being done in NASCAR races and things like that, where you kind of have the lead bird breaking through the air and its passage, the way it it cuts through uh, the atmosphere, actually makes it easier for the other members of the flock to follow behind. They're kind of doing the hard work at at the point of the whole activity. So one of the wonderful things about coming into a retreat that's already been underway and where there's been some silence and concentration generated is, you get the advantage of that resonance. That can be part of what helps ease your presence into the retreat. 
So even though we're a group that's coming together for a first time, and there'll be a little bit of kerfluffle, minor, generally speaking, there'll be a little bit of adjustment. And then at a certain point, there'll be a community. And this community has some diversity in it. We are people of various ages, people of different genders and sexual orientation, people from different national origins, people of different races, people who have different family heritages of belief or non-belief. And we form this imperfect community with a spirit of sincerity, knowing even though there is diversity, it could be more diverse. And it should be more diverse. And that the work of making this a truly welcoming and viable practice environment for everyone needs to continue to unfold. So we'll get over the practical matters pretty soon. You'll be trained in your yogi jobs and we'll know that kind of thing, what to do with your dishes. And and then we can settle down to the real task of it all, the real work that we've come here to do. And that work we've come here to do is about finding the path and walking the path to a kind of internal harmony, a kind of wholeness of being, of integration of being. That's our potential as human beings. When you think, really, of what is involved with you winding up at a place like Spirit Rock, You may find that it's actually quite an old story that goes way back to some question or some experience, some hope or aspiration that you had and still have. Or perhaps it goes back to some kind of hurt that is still to be healed or some type of deep investigation that you just can't let alone, that you need to follow no matter where it goes. There's so much involved in even getting here. The priority setting that made you decide, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to do it. I want to go to Spirit Rock. 
I want to go for two months or I want to go for a month. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And then all the planning that goes with that, including the planning of how you're going to get the financial resources to make it possible, and how you're going to handle things at home when you're gone. And then the packing and the traveling and the arriving. There's some sacrifice in doing this. I mean, some of you have even given blood. I mean, (laughs) now that's commitment. Not many places ask you for that when you come in. And not many places have people who are willing to, to offer that, seeing the value and the research that's being done. So there's some kind of motivation there for you, a deep one. Something that you're looking for or looking to further develop. And you could call it peace or wisdom, or maybe you would call it something like healing or growth. Maybe it's all of these things or something that's a little bit different from that. But something is being sought or developed here. You're after something, aren't you? And it can be skillful to actually become conscious of what that is that you are after. If you asked the question to yourself right now about what your motivation in being here is, what comes to mind? Is it a word or a picture or a body sense? That's the starting point and it can be very powerful to remain in contact with that as you enter into practice, because that's really your touch point, your power. Is the commitment to that motivation and its depth. Motivation is so important in Buddhist practice because, as it's often said, it all turns on the point of motivation. It turns meaning the direction of a life, the direction of an effort, the willingness to persist, is all rooted in what you understand to be your motivation.
when the motivation is open to the highest understanding for the benefit of all beings and the self, that's when it's really the highest octane. Doing this in silence, day after day, hour after hour, is a really big commitment. And if we look at what the Buddha has to say about his path of practice, we come to the understanding that it has an important component of wise intention. Wise intention. Meaning that we are conscious as we practice, as we form our motivation, proceed, that what we're trying to do is very interwoven with what's called renunciation. The letting go of what are lower priorities and are very much interwoven with compassion, with the motivation of metta and karuna, of goodwill towards ourselves and others. We're saying out of kindness and compassion for ourselves, this is what we're going to prioritize right now. This is what we're going to do. Other things will be put aside while we're here. It's really going against the cultural stream, isn't it? Very much so. Which is why the clarity about motivation is so important. When we're understanding that we're practicing for our own benefit and for that of all beings, then we become willing. We become willing to do what must be done to meet and open to what must be met. And of course, this effort must be skillful. And that's what a lot of the learning revolves around. Coming to understand how to make skillful application of the resources of heart and mind that we have. How to actually use those. To practice we need to be present to our direct experience in a sustained kind of way. To do this, we need to learn to allow and to accept and to harmonize with what's actually happening. And that's not an easy thing because we have very deep-rooted habits of suffering. I've come to understand suffering in a certain kind of way as habitual habits of mind habitual ways that the mind is conditioned 
to relate to what it experiences. It's not an easy thing to move into sustained receptivity. To see and let go of the habit of trying to get things to be the way we want them, to be the way that we like them. To see and let go of the habit of pushing away what's unwanted. And to see and let go of the habit of disconnection to what we find not especially interesting. Habits are very sticky. They very often have biological or deep psychological roots or both. So generally we can't just cut through them, although we certainly would like to. And sometimes we actually can. Sometimes in the moment we can cut through a particular habit. But they're, they're tricky things. They're a bit like um, tubers or something of some uh, invasive species where you, know, you can think you've cut down all the bamboo and yet it often re-arises. they tend to regenerate. Sometimes you might even have the experience of these habits of mind almost rebounding from a good pruning. (laughs) Have you ever had that experience coming off retreat? Wow. But this brings an important point, which is how we go about this undoing of these habits, the method that we use. Because it's not so much that we dig them up and throw them away through some sort of act of self-will. It really has more to do with changing the ecosystem of the mind so that the conditions are no longer supportive for their occurrence and persistence. And if you've ever had the experience of trying to work with a garden that starts out with soil that's hostile or not particularly friendly to particular types of plants and is friendly towards Uh, weeds or nuisance um, kinds of plantings, it takes a while. There's cultivation involved. There's active things that are required from the gardener. But the knowledge is available about how to go about undertaking this. This whole process is very much about letting go. Letting go and surrender. So then the question always comes up, well, letting go of what exactly? 
And it seems to come down to letting go of the rigid insistence that things be other than they are in the present moment. Or another way of putting it is letting go of disharmony with reality. Letting go of that kind of insistence that is suffering. Connecting with what is being experienced and allowing it from a state of balance. So in a sense you could say we're practicing letting things alone, letting them be, figuring out what the wise angle of intersection is with our own direct experience. Not getting blown over by it, not getting captured by it, not getting submerged by it, not getting discouraged by it not getting overwhelmed by it. Buoyancy, a kind of buoyancy of mind that's sometimes described as equanimity. So this is about ending the war with immediate experience. Our human state is kind of confusing. We often have a fundamental confusion about what we directly control and what we don't. And we're confused very often because we do have the ability to act and to move things in a certain way under certain conditions. Yet we generalize that strategy and I suppose one way you could put it is have a tendency to oversteer. You ever see a a merry-go-round with... um, those little cars on it. You know, there's usually the horses and then there's the little cars. And The little cars all have wheels. Right? And you see little kids sitting in them and as the merry-go-round goes around, they're like turning the wheels to try to steer the little car. Well, the, the little car is going where the little car is going anyway and, you know, the wheel isn't really connected. And sometimes we're, we're very confused about the span of our influence and control in the immediate sense. In the longer term sense, of course, there's a great deal of influence and control available to us. In fact, you could say at the heart of the teaching, at the core of the teaching, is a pointing that says, you have ultimate influence and control of the direction of your own evolution. But the paradox is 
this is developed and this is ripened in the immediate sense, very often by abandoning the effort for immediate control, of surrendering in harmony to connection with what's actually happening now. So surrender, this word surrender. You may associate this with waving the white flag of defeat. However, that's not really what's meant in this context at least. In this context, it's actually the process of ending friction with the present moment, harmonizing instead. And it doesn't mean, of course, that you lose in any way the ability to act skillfully if the clear understanding of the present moment is, ooh, this is not right, or this is not wise, or this is not good to cultivate or to continue in this direction. You don't lose any of that. But we're talking about acceptance right at the point of perception, right at the point of direct knowing of what's happening. So we're talking about letting go of resistance and letting go of suffering which are things that are very learnable and things that are very possible. And it's possible for all of us. So I encourage you all to remember your motivation, the motivation that empowers you and encourages you to presence. And let your heart rest, rest on that as the fuel for the efforts that you make here. May the practice that we do here be for the benefit and well-being of all beings everywhere, without exception. Thank you all. Now, Ticha, uh, who is our Qigong teacher? And- Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.